0: Hey, what's going on everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Today I am here with my co-host, as always, Brandon Turner. Hey Brandon. Hey Josh, what's up? You need some need some hot tea, buddy?
1: (laughs) I I might. Do you hear it in my voice? You you don't sound too good, man. Yeah. I don't know. My voice I woke up with uh, kind of a scratchy voice. Guess kind of went to bed with one too. That's all right. I'm a whiner. I'll get over it.
0: Little bit. As, as Queen Queen once said, the show must go on, my
1: friend. Queen. The show must go on. <laughs> Thank you. The show
0: must go on.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Keep the saying. show must go <laughs>
2: on.
0: Can can we continue?
1: Please. Yes. Anyway.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I'm sorry you're feeling sick, but uh, we're we're all happy that you're here for for this uh, this episode. So let's uh, let's move on. It's going to be a great show, and we'll we'll move right into the quick tip. quick tip. All right, today's quick tip: Gmail. Lots of you guys are using Gmail, and uh, they made a major major change uh, recently, and just want to let you guys know about it. Essentially, what they did was they took your inbox and they they said, "Hey, we know your inbox better than you do, and we're going to break it up for you." So they took uh, all your mail and they broke it up into a bunch of different tabs, including uh, promotion tab. I think there's a I, I I don't remember what all the different tabs are, um, but essentially, if you've got newsletters that you like and that you follow, those are probably now not going into your Gmail inbox. They're probably now going into your promotions tab or one of the other ones. Uh, we've got instructions on, on what you can do about that. If you actually want to see uh, things like our newsletter uh, appear in your inbox uh, or our notifications and other stuff, you literally will go to one of those messages in your promotion tab, drag it into your inbox. It'll say, do you really want to do that from now on? You say yes, and you're done. Again, we've got a video uh, link to a video and instructions in the show notes, so definitely check those out at biggerpockets.com show32. But uh, that's today's quick tip. To ensure you get all the important newsletters and email you want to get through Gmail, not just ours. Uh, definitely want to check out this uh, this post that uh, we put together on the forums. That said, we're gonna jump right ahead and get into the show. Like I said uh, today, we've got Will Bernard. Uh, Will's uh, Will's a friend of mine. He's been around Bigger Pockets for a really long time now. Uh, he is. Uh, uh, he runs a company called Bernard Enterprises based in Southern California and uh, has experience in almost every aspect of real estate investing, including spec building, fix and flip, rehabbing, wholesaling, landlording, short sales, land development, notes, and on and on and on and on and on. And on. So. Uh, We definitely are going to want to cover all that stuff today, and uh, we're not going to get into detail into all of it, but but he's got a ton of wisdom, so definitely pay close attention. You're going to learn a lot.
3: Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income.
0: Welcome to the show. Good to have you.
3: How's it going, fellas? It's going, it's going good. good.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, real good. I'm doing better than Brandon, though.
1: <laughs> you usually are. Yeah, that's how it is. Actually, it is. Weren't, you, weren't you guys, just, both of you, complaining right before we uh, started recording about how sweltering hot it was? And I just want to say it's, it's 72 and there's a light breeze here. So. <laughs> I'm doing well right now. You two are. So nice
2: for you, Brandon.
1: (laughs)
0: Yep. 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 All right, man. So Southern California real estate, that's what you're doing today. Let's, let's, let's go back a little bit. What did you do before you got into the, into the game?
2: Um, well, uh, I started out, um, as a young age, I was, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I've kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit and I started my business at 20 years old. I ran an offset printing company. And I did that for over 10 years. I still do a little bit of a, a little bit of it on the side nice. um,
0: when I was a boy. Yeah, <laughs> when
2: I was a boy. So while I was doing that, I had an interest in real estate and I really, really wanted to get going on that. I really enjoyed it. So around 2000, I was out looking at houses because I wanted to buy them, fix them and sell them. And at the time, the only thing I knew about in order to how to take it down was to go to a bank and beg for money and uh, get a loan. And at the time, um, I didn't show a lot of income. I was self-employed. I'm trying to not show income, yeah. if you would, as a, real, you know, as a uh, business owner.
0: The, the IRS isn't listening. Don't worry about Thank
2: it. God. <laughs> Thank God. Thank <laughs> God. So anyhow, I, I didn't think I could get a loan, and I never pulled the trigger. And so fast forward four years later, 2004, I finally said, you know what? I've got to do this. Come heck or high water. And so I pulled the trigger and I started learning everything I could about real estate. I was going to real estate events. I was reading books. I was uh, perusing the internet, found BP um, in 2006, I think. And um, that was a, a huge jumpstart for me as well. And um, the rest is history. All right, I've been right doing on. real estate ever since and I'll never go back to anything else.
0: Nice. 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 All right. So let's, let's talk about... You know, the, the, the very beginning of, of the real estate career, how, how exactly did you get started in terms of deals? So let's, let's walk through that first one that you did.
2: Certainly. Um, first, first several deals were all buy and hold. They were all done with partners. And I had very little to none of my own money in the first several deals. So, And all of those deals were all out of state, mind you. Texas to be specific.
1: Nice. How would how'd you find Texas? Like, do you have family there or something?
2: Um, I did have family there and I did talk to my aunt and uncle and tried to get familiar with some of the areas there. I initially was interested in the San Antonio area and that's where I did end up investing. My first uh, seven or eight deals were there in San Antonio. Okay. Um, but it wasn't because of family. It was because I researched the market and it was a very stable market. It was growing. Um, it, I saw opportunity for cash flow. And so that's why I went on after that area.
0: So, and, and how did you end up deciding? Hey, I'm going to go in with partners, um, and 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 get start start doing real estate that way.
2: Uh, because I didn't have my own money to buy hundred and two hundred thousand dollars houses, so um, I needed partners, and so that was my avenue.
0: Okay, yeah. and you found them by doing what?
2: Uh, first partner was my father, my mother, so family. I'm a big, a lot of people, we've had this discussion a million times on BP. Some people say never do business with family. Some people say you got to do business with family. I'm of the uh, opinion that if it's possible, you should do business with family, but you should also do it right. And I think what sets me apart and where you hear the horror stories of doing business with family is that they don't protect the other family member or somebody else in that Relationship is somewhat shady. I don't happen to have that situation, and I always protected the assets as if they were all a hundred, a 1, thousand percent mine. So there were never any issues. Right,
0: right, right. Gotcha. Okay. So, you, so you started. You had some family. They came in. They they were your backers, and and presumably you handled the the uh, the rest of the business. You got the money and did you did everything else.
2: Precisely. They they funded it. I found the deal. I analyzed the deal. Um, we closed, then I'd place tenants, fix, do everything I needed to do. And I ran all the finances and all that stuff. They just supplied the money.
1: How did you structure that then? I mean, did you offer 50, 50 or was it just case by case?
2: It was 50, 50. Um, we formed an LLC in Texas as you should always form your, your entity in the state you're doing business as, um, or register an entity as a foreign entity doing business in that state. Anyways, um, I did that and we were 50, 50. So my father was 50% owner of the LLC and I was 50% owner of the LLC.
1: Okay. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people complain they don't want to be a partner cause they don't want to lose half the deal. But I would say like, it's better to have 50% of a deal than a hundred percent of no deal. And I mean, a lot of people just say, yeah, I, I think it's, I love partnerships. I love them. I use them almost. Sure words were never
2: spoken. Now, if you can get away with keeping 100%, absolutely. But yeah. if you can get 50% of something, 50% of something is, like you said, better than 100% of nothing.
0: Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. So well, l- l- let's talk a little bit more about this partner thing. So you kicked it off. You partnered with the family. As you've kind of go- come along, have you continued to use partners to finance uh, your, your business or did you eventually just stop doing that?
2: Um, I did partners up until, well, I still do partners now, but let's going back. I did partners up until about 2010. After that, everything, because I switched my business from Texas. I I got rid of everything. I sold all my rental properties. I own no rental properties at the moment. Um, I do own notes. Anyways, all my business moved to Southern California when the market changed. And that's when I started doing rehab flips. And other than one partnership everything was done all me hundred percent however in the past uh, year or so i've been doing some really really big deals and i've been doing a lot more deals than i used to i used to do one at a time so now i will on occasion bring in somebody who's got money and they'll finance a deal and i'll bring them in actually as a partner but i'm very choosy on who i pick to do that they're gotcha. very experienced like i am
1: gotcha gotcha okay no that's great that's great yeah cool um I we, I know we want to talk about those bigger deals, which we'll definitely get to. Uh, but before we do, I'm wondering, like uh, I meant, you mentioned on the forums one time about a a property that you're having a lot of trouble with. Um, I, guess, I think you called it your tenant from hell story or something like that. I'm wondering if you can, what you can
2: tell us about that story. Yes, the uh, the infamous occupants from hell story. Yes. <laughs> that is a a very long story on BP, and it's a very long story in my life. That started with a what should have been a grand slam deal. I bought a property in um, two and a half years ago, um, in end of February, and it was subject to. So, it had an existing first mortgage with Wells Fargo. Uh, I took over that loan. Subject to means you're buying the house, the the property transfers title into my uh, name or my business entity, but the loan stays in the previous owner's name. So they're still ultimately responsible for the loan. That's a subject to purchase. Uh, I then brought in about $45,000, $55,000 in change in capital um, to close the deal. So that's all I had in the deal. And then the idea was offer the occupants cash for keys to walk. And then I'd get in there, rehab it, fix it, and flip it, and walk away with a, a home run deal. As it turns out, the occupant claimed uh, – challenge title, claimed to be married to the party that sold me the property, never was. Um, anyways, long story short, I've been two and a half years now. I've owned this property. I have yet to step foot in the property. I've oh. never seen the inside of this property, That's and I've owned crazy. it for two and a half years. <laughs> wow. i spent tens of – 20s of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees, and I'm not done. Wow. That's crazy. That, that is crazy. It is a, a very sad story. It's very unusual. In fact, my attorney has talked to numerous attorneys. I've talked to probably 10,000 people between BP and the communities I, I speak at. No one's ever heard of it. It's, it's basically a punitive spouse issue, which is a legal term. Um, and no one's really ever heard of it. And the only reason my attorney ever heard of it is because it was on the bar exam.
0: uh, At least he was paying attention while he was studying.
2: He was paying attention, but he's, no one's ever dealt with a punitive spouse issue. It's something that's never dealt with. And, uh, that's where I'm stuck in family court, but I, I can see some light at the end of the tunnel. I'm very close now.
0: Wow! 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 Well, well, that's certainly an unusual <laughs> event. And does it now? Does that change your mind at all on on doing a sub two, or or is or is it just you know one of those things that happens and you move on?
2: I think it's one of those I got bit by a shark and struck by lightning all in the same day. Right. So I, I wouldn't say that um, I'll be more careful next time and I'll have some things that I will that I will do to protect myself from that. I'll have further disclosures, further due diligence. But in this case, there was really no due diligence I could do. I, I researched the property was her sole and separate property. Um, everything on title was clear. So I did everything I could do.
1: Yeah. Do you still expect to make a profit after this is all said and done, or do you think that's gone by now?
2: I'm sure that's gone. I'm praying to God that I can walk away, get my private lender paid back, pay off the first, and, and somehow recoup the money that I put into it. And if I can walk away with a zero-sum game, I'll consider that a home run nice Uh, in this scenario yeah if this would have hit somebody without the financial capabilities it was like your first or second deal i mean it could have potentially ruined somebody but thank god you know i had the resources to get through it
0: yeah yeah wow unbelievable well you know, to to those people listening, you know, you, you have to be prepared for anything, and and uh, this is this is unfortunately something that that has come up, and it really was out of your hands. No matter you did your homework, you did your due diligence, so you you kind of expected this.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And just a quick disclaimer: I don't want this situation to discourage or scare or add more fear to anyone who wants to do a sub two or wants to get into um, uh, landlording. By all means, you have to pull the trigger. You have to take action. You more millionaires and billionaires are created through real estate than any other vehicle. So don't let this shy away from sub twos are a great way to get acquisitions with very little money down.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the buy and hold strategy. Uh, you you did that for a number of years. Was there? Um, were you the manager or or were you outsourcing that to a property management company since, since you were doing it at a distance? How, how did you handle it?
2: Because it was at a distance, I had literally no choice but to hire a property manager and that was a learning experience all in itself. I did have what I thought was a good property manager and it seems like every property manager that started out with me was good until six months later or a year later. speak to the
0: choir baby speak to the choir (laughs) exactly we've
2: all we've all experienced it and dealing with property managers you have to manage your property manager and you have to screen them like nobody's business
0: yeah do you have any tips or advice on that i I know i have fallen for the same issues i've had the same problems and and uh, i do everything that i can to to help people be careful in screening folks so you know what are your best tips there
2: You know, if, if you're going to invest out of state, my, my opinion on it is if you're going to do it, go all out and do it. And in which case, cause go big or go home. Um, So if you're going to do it by one or two, you're not going to get rich off that. You're, it's almost more hassle than it's worth my opinion. Um, So my suggestion and one of my very close uh, friends, also a BP member He owns a lot of -of out-of-state property, and I believe the way he did it is the right way to do it. He bought a lot of them. He bought a lot of them at once, and he bought them in partnership with somebody with boots on the ground there. Knew the market, managed them, and has a vested interest. So he's not just a property manager managing your property. He's the owner managing the property. And thus, you create a partnership that you're both in line with the same focus. I think that is key. I don't believe all property managers are in line with um, your uh, prerogatives because they get paid when tenants move out and move in and when the repairs need to be made. That's So it benefits them when things go wrong. Yeah. You want nothing to go wrong. Obviously, it's going to go wrong, but you want limited things to go wrong. And when you have a partner that's managing the property, they have the same um Way of thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. That's definitely yeah. good advice. The, the uh, you know, a lot of people look at property managers the same way that they'll look at agents, you know, hey, an agent just cares about the transaction. You know, they, they make money if you buy, they make money if you sell. Stockbrokers, they make, money, you know, they don't care if you're making or losing money, they just want the transaction fee. Managers, a lot of managers are like that. A lot of agents and a lot of uh, brokers are the same way. So that's uh, fantastic feedback.
2: Yeah, and I guess if you could find another option, if you were going to go big and you're going to get 10, 15, 20 doors, another way to do it possibly would be to find, um, and this could be risky, but a, a, a newer property manager, somebody who started out on their own, or maybe they've managed with a big company and now they've gone out on their own and they're hungry to get doors, maybe you bring them in as a partner. So that they're in line with your goals. Give them incentivize them, in other words, to keep the costs down. And and ultimately you may pay a little more out of it, but at least they're operating it as the business as you should be operating.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Let's let's go talk a little bit about flipping in a high-end area because again, I flip houses sometimes that are, you know, 20, $30,000. dollars. You're flipping houses that are a bit more than that
0: but but to get there, he actually probably started smaller, though, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I didn't. Start Not to it.
0: too off, Brandon or no, anything, no, but no, you know, nice. maybe we should work our way up to the luxury flips. For, you know, from the <laughs> beginning. What do you think? Is that a good idea? Sure, let's I think do that's it.
2: a great idea, uh, Josh. Thanks. So, how did
1: you get into the lux- luxury market? Then let's talk about your transition upward.
2: Okay, so to talk about the transition, I'd have to talk about where it started, I guess, and back in. Into- great idea. Back in, uh, as you know, we had the, the bubble burst and uh, 2007 here in California, the market started declining and and, and all of a sudden and quite rapidly. And uh, 2007 and eight, it took an absolute beating here in California as it did uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, a lot of the Florida markets, Ohio, basically across the country. But some of the markets really got hit hard because they went up so high. California was probably one of the worst because it went up so high so fast in 2004 you could buy a house here and six months later it would have increased in value by a hundred thousand with you doing absolutely nothing just holding it for six months so it was just artificial so anyways when it crashed um, everything really changed And when I saw the change, I saw an opportunity. And so I decided, you know what? I need to move my focus from Texas buy and hold to buying here in Southern California in my own backyard, which then gets rid of my managing property managers problem from across the nation um, and dealing with tenants and so forth and so on. I loved it. So I didn't sell everything then. I just started focusing here on rehabs and I bought a, I bought a house, my, um, one of my first acquisitions for rehab flips here in Southern California was just north of 300000 on the acquisition. I put, I don't remember, 60, 70 grand into it, and I turned a really, really nice profit. Uh, I then repeated the process uh, multiple times the following year in 2010 and just really started building my business here. And that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to sell my real estate in Texas and do 100% here.
0: Hey, so so I used to live in SoCal. Where do you find a $300,000 house in, in that market?
2: Oh, all over the place. All over. Um, the San Fernando Valley, um, Santa Clarita Valley, is, even in L.A., you find houses 300000 Now, again, we're talking from 2009 till we're in 2013 today, so things have changed. Yeah. They've gone down, and then they've gone back up, and they're going up right now. Yeah. So three hundred thousand today, right now, is going to buy you a twelve hundred square foot, three bed, two bath in an older neighborhood. That's um, about all it's going to. But there's but
0: there's still deals to be found, is what you're saying.
2: There are still deals to be found. However, rehab flipping is so popular um, because you know it's been on TV. Um, you have the gurus. You have. Um, BP, who is a big proponent of real estate investing, and there's hundreds of thousands of members, and all of a sudden, real estate is popular throughout the country, and so you have all these people saying, "Hey, this is a vehicle that works. I want to get in it." So we have so much investor competition, uh, particularly at the low end levels, the the hundred to five hundred thousand dollar level, um, and especially the two hundred and fifty to three hundred fifty level here in Southern California. If there's a, any deal that pops out, it's got multiple offers because there's so many investors out there. And then you tack on all the wholesalers or wannabe wholesalers and they're making offers and it's, it's a mess. So it's very hard to compete in that level, in that price point.
1: Do you feel like those, all those flippers that are buying those up like crazy, are they still making a profit on all of them or are they paying too much and do you think they're losing out?
2: Um, I think it depends on their strategy. I think a lot of the strategy right now kind of goes back, it's a mix between rehab flipping and and the buy and hold for short term like everyone was doing in the bubble. I think they are seeing that the market is appreciating and they're like, okay, if I can buy this now for this price, fix it up, place a tenant for about two years, then refix it up to the retail and then dump it, I'll make a ton of money. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of this buy, hold, and then flip. Yeah, And, and I, so I- they're overpaying. Because that's the only way they can get in, but they're hoping to make it up on the appreciation side. And I think that's yeah. a crazy
0: strategy. I mean, I think that's yeah. I think, you know, hoping for for appreciation or hoping that this the bubble kind of continues, because I, I, I will I will say that we're definitely getting into bubblish kind of bubblish kind of territory. And uh, I, I think it's just a dangerous strategy, particularly for for newer investors who who may not have the understanding. And and I, I also you know, worry that, that when you have a situation where there's a property that, that goes into multiple offers and, and it it starts getting frenzied, people who don't have the experience are gonna be the guys left holding the bag and ending up with the properties and they're like, Oh wait, everybody bid me up. Now I've got this property. I didn't stick to my numbers. Now
2: what do I do? Right. And now they're in trouble. And, yeah. and I agree. We're gonna have a bubble um, uh, one of my friends, Aaron Norris, his father is Bruce Norris. is highly respected um, here yep. in Southern California. He is pretty much the god as far as um, data and research and where the market is going. Um, and I, I, I listen to everything he says. I go to every time when he speaks, and I get some insight from him. I, I think I see it coming. I see another bubble coming, as does he. We don't know when that's going to explode, right. but. And it's not happening for the same reasons that it did in 2006 and seven and eight, but it is happening and it's, it's going to blow up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so so do you have any advice for, for people who, who may be in your market or other similar markets that are experiencing these frenzy situations? I mean, my advice is set your number, stick to it and walk away if, if, if the price goes above it. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, but you know, do you have anything else beyond that?
2: Um, actually, simplicity is is the key there. And it's it's exactly that. It's buy right. Whether you're a buy and holder or you're a buy and flipper, buy right. Yeah. That's where you lock in your profit. And then you have your cushion if something goes wrong.
1: So, so we, like you talked about how people are overbuying and the market's heating up. Eventually, it seems like in every market, every time this happens, the flippers are the kind of the ones left holding the bag at the end. The ones that you know, pay too much for property. I mean, the same cycle, it happens, and we see it time and time again. So I'm wondering, what are you doing, like, personally to prevent against that happening? You know, like, if you pay too much for property, the market drops 20%, all of a sudden you're in trouble.
0: He's not paying too much for the property, Brandon. Exactly.
2: <laughs> now, I'm not paying too much for the property, a, and I don't think it's the flippers who get left holding the bag. I think it's the speculators yeah, that I are getting I guess, yeah. left holding the bag. Yep, you're right. And
1: Thanks. what's the
0: difference? I mean, you know, I think some people might think of themselves as investors or flippers or buy and holders, but really they are speculators. So what would, you, what would you define a speculator as?
2: Well, like in 2005, 2006, you um, grab a real estate map, you have a monkey close your eyes <laughs> and you throw a dart at the map and you buy whatever property lands on. And six months later, you make 100000 for doing nothing. And ha- having zero IQ—that's Th- just basically luck or speculating, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. that's not investing.
0: No, and, investing and it, is it,
2: crunching numbers, doing, performing due diligence, yeah. knowing your market, having strategies, both entrance and exit. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But you know, but the the counter to that is, if a monkey goes and actually closes your eyes, it might be kind of cool. It might be. Yeah, you would like <laughs> that.
2: I know you'd like. That. Yeah,
0: you know. I mean, I've never really hung out with a monkey before, so yeah, may- maybe one of these days.
1: I hang out yeah. with a monkey every day over Skype, but um.
3: Oh. Sh- oh. Oh. Ouch! Oh, funny. All that right. was
1: almost as good as my knock knock jokes. Oh no! Let's which get I won't back to- bring up.
2: <laughs> Let's get back. Oh, to thank flipping. you for sparing us, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All You're right,
0: could, t- tell us about your first flip. So you went you went from being this this buy hold guy to the to a flipper. So tell us about that first flip deal, and then we'll we'll kind of scooch forward to this uh, luxury thing that your your uh, your friend Brandon wants you to talk about.
2: <laughs> right. Well, actually, what led me before I even did the I didn't go from buy and hold to flip. I actually started doing uh, land development and and spec building in Texas before I went to flipping. That really gave me the good background for rehabbing because building from ground up. And then rehabbing, it's somewhat similar. It's different, but it really gave me my start so that when I did my first rehab flip here locally, I already had experience. Plus I did flip one over there in Texas. Well, I had to flip a couple of them. And some of them were rentals turned into flips.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So then let's let you know, you're killing me, man. I had an order, I had an idea of what I was gonna do. And and we got to go back now. All right, so back to this land development stuff. What, tell us about that. You know, give us give us kind of a very quick overview and, and preview of what that looked like and why you started doing it.
2: Sure. Um, well, I really at the time I really liked the Texas market, and um, I'm a numbers guy, and I love to look at properties and crunch numbers. And so I got the idea of purchasing dirt and um, developing it. So um, my first purchase was a uh four acre parcel. I turned that into 13 duplex units and then I sold off all the, all the lots and uh, made a pretty good amount of money on that. And I brought in partners for financing, um, on that. My parents were, uh, financed a good portion of that and they made great money on that. So I did that. And then we started buying individual lots and building houses on them. And we started building duplexes and fourplexes, small apartment buildings and did whole communities so what, so
0: what does somebody do to, you know, to buy up a piece of dirt and develop it? I mean, what's, what's entailed? I know that's, it's a whole podcast in its own right, but you know, maybe you can give us the 30 second, uh, overview of what that looks like.
2: Sure. Um, sure. Well, I mean, a simple thing is, is, it's very similar to buying a house. You're, you're going to look for dirt and you're going to do your due diligence. You're going to run your numbers you're going to see what the cost is to develop that dirt, and then you—that in itself has a bunch of due diligence things, which is uh, checking for environmental reports and and getting geological reports. Um, so much is going all the way to uh, the fire department figuring out how much, how many uh, fire um, units they need on the street and what the pressure is if there's enough pressure to deliver that. So there's all kinds of little things and intricate things in your due diligence to do, but other than that, it's it's really pretty simple. It's it seems complicated, but it's really not. It's like buying a house. How
0: did you learn about that?
2: Uh just did it. I didn't Still. I I never read a book. I never did it before. I never talked to anybody about it before. I just decided, hey, this looks like a good thing to do.
0: Okay. Okay. Jump on in and get your hands
2: dirty, huh? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's, you know, experience is the best educator.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Got it. That's a good tweetable topic I can put in the show notes. <laughs> For those who wonder what the show notes are, that is biggerpockets.com slash show 20. No, 32. Bigger. It's show 32. <laughs>
2: get it right, Brandon. 32. Yeah. I,
1: I had to quickly try to. It
0: anyway. took
2: you guys 31 weeks to get me on the show.
0: It did. It did. Wow. <laughs> you know, and we really should have had you as number one, Will. I mean, I, I'm so sorry that, that's the way that <laughs> apologies. You know, we'll we'll write you an apology check.
2: No, no, no. You <laughs> saved the best for last, and I'm sorry, everyone. This is the last show. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: No, not really. All right. Let, let, let's move on. Just kidding,
2: BP Nation.
1: Thank you. Thank you. BP Nation, by the way, that was – that was. if you guys have seen that around the forums, that was Will's term that he started using, and now we use it all the time. Yes.
2: Yes. Thank you. Thank so actually, you're BP not Nation. allowed to use it without paying me, but I <laughs> –
1: that's funny. All right, so back to the meat.
2: The meat and potatoes. <laughs> we, I love it.
1: Yes, here we go. How, how do you find properties? What are you doing right now to find them?
2: Uh, right now, I have um, agents who are out searching, and then I search myself on the MLS. Um, I used to, from two thousand and nine to about two thousand and twelve, everything was for me was nothing was on the MLS. It was all about relationships. I built, and I've preached this on BP to uh, my heart's content. And I I was a strong believer in relationships and that's what worked for me. I would build relationships with asset managers who would disposition um, REO properties for the banks. I would have top REO brokers and they would send me deals, I'd go look at them, I'd run my numbers and I'd say, here's what I could pay, let's make an offer. And if the BPO comes back and it works for the bank, then they'd shoot in my offer and it would never hit the MLS. Well, they started changing the rules and changing the things, and that went away. So while relationships are still important and you should still build them, I'm not getting the off-market before or never hitting the MLS deals. The only way to get that that I know of today is direct marketing to uh, motivated sellers. And are you doing that? I am not, but I'm just about to uh, ramp up a huge campaign to do that. I'm going to be uh, partnering with good friend, Sean Watkins, also a BP member. Right on, right on. Um, and he is the king, the god of direct marketing. So um, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Nice. Nice.
1: Nice. nice. So, what, what's your plan? Are you going to postcards or yellow letters? How's that going to look?
2: Um, we'll probably do both postcards and yellow letters and whatever. Whatever he uses and whatever's working for him, I'm going to just, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to do what he does. There you go.
1: That's awesome. And that's that's really good advice, actually, is don't try to reinvent the wheel. I mean, there's a lot of successful people out there and everyone on Bigger Pockets is really open about what they do. I mean, I mean, you guys know from the podcast, I mean, people tell everything. So right. yeah. Find that's out what works and just copy that.
2: For sure. So there you go. So but again, the MLS is where I'm getting most of my deals. That is and it's a mixture between that and everything is off the MLS, but it's a mixture between me finding them and agents finding them and then bringing them to me. Can you go into maybe what,
0: what, what these properties are? I mean, are you finding that you're putting offers on properties that are brand new to the MLS or these properties that have been sitting around for, you know, 30, 60, 90 a year or, you know, what, what kind of properties are you picking up?
2: Um, both. Some of them are first day on the market and I'm first in and hopefully, you know, lock and load it really quick. Um, most of them are ones that have been sitting on the market that were priced either too high and then they had a price reduction or they went into escrow and then backed out and they went back from pending back to active. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are where they're just completely thrashed. Those are the ones I love. I do not shy away from everyone likes the, you know, slap the, um, lipstick on a pig. Yeah, exactly. Lipstick on a pig. Thank you. Um, but I prefer the the bigger rehabs. They take longer, and you can call it more risky. Um, I have a different definition of risk than a lot of people. But uh, that sides the point. The thing is, is the bigger rehabs. There's more money in them, yeah. in my opinion. You can add more, create more value with the bigger rehabs, and they scare away the rookies that can't take those on. So I get in the door a little bit easier than the rookies do.
0: Okay. So, so on a typical flip, everybody talks about the 70% rule, right? You, you purchase a property. In fact, we did a, we did an interview about the 70% rule. I I believe what, Oh no, it was about ARV, but, um, and Brandon will point to that fun little interview that
1: YouTube on, on the show notes notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 22. No, 32. I did it right this time, John.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So 70% rule, it says you, know, you buy a property for 70% of the after repair value minus repairs. Uh, on, on these higher end properties, are you looking at those numbers or are, does 70% rule still apply? How does it work?
2: Um, it do, the 70% rule does apply, um, but not always. It depends. I always tell people rules are guidelines and they're not hard and fast. They are not silver bullets. I just posted this, I think, yesterday or last night. Um, the thing is, is you can buy at 75% and do great. You can buy at 77% and make money. You can, but you can also buy at 70% and lose money. So it depends on your situation. It depends on the investment itself. Here's one of my rules. Okay. Guidelines, if you will, if you are going to buy at the 70% rule, you are in most markets going to do perfectly well. Except if you start getting under the hundred thousand acquisition pr- or exit prices and below, where the after you repair it, the value of the property is hundred thousand dollars or less, seventy percent is going to make you very little to no money, if not a loss. You've got to use the sixty-five percent rule, or maybe even the sixty percent rule, when you get under the low, lower properties, and then when you get into the super high-end stuff like the three million dollar properties, you buy at seventy percent, you'll probably make money. You will make money. But your cash on cash return might be so small compared to the risk that you took. It might not in the time, it might not be worth it. You might have to use a 65% rule on a multi-million dollar project. Gotcha.
0: That's really good advice.
2: You have to take the rule into consideration and make adjustments accordingly. And the only way you know those adjustments is by running numbers over and over again and taking experiences from people like myself or others or yourself, if you have them, and, and knowing what works here and what works there. Gotcha, yeah.
3: that's, that's good. great. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com. pinefinancialgroup.com. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges. And they specialize in all types of exchanges: delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com BP. That's my 1031 P R O S BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s and time consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light doc and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, Financial.com. Again, that's host H O S T Financial dot com.
0: How do you comp uh, those higher end properties? Uh, I, I know a you know a property in a three-two neighborhood is, is pretty easy, but when you've got you know these higher end deals, there's there's a lot of intricacies, right? There's a lot of things that really, you know, uh, that stand out. You know, the, the gold bathtub, right? Does that <laughs> add to the value? Does it take away, you know, you got the infinity pool? Is that good? Is it bad? Uh, are, are there any tips on, on, on comping those higher-end properties?
2: How do you comp high-end properties? Well, how does the turtle cross the road? Very carefully. So <laughs> you are very careful in comping because- Wasn't it comp- the chicken? Whatever. doesn't matter. Be careful <laughs> if you're crossing the road. <laughs> <laughs> comping a, comping a, a multi-million dollar property, typically these properties are larger in lot size and they're typically not conforming. And what I mean by conforming is in a regular neighborhood where you have 50 or 100, three bed, two bath, 1200 to 1800 square foot houses. Um, in multi million dollar properties, you can have one that's 5,000 square feet, one that's 2,500 square feet, and one that's 10,000 square feet. So none of those three are comparables. But in the luxury market, you still have to use some of them to get them because there's not going to be your three solid comps that are model matches because there's no such thing as a model match. So it is a real art form comping luxury market properties. Um, that, that would be a show in itself to go into that. That's a long explanation, to be honest.
0: All right, cut it, cut it down to 30 seconds. What's, what's the basics?
2: Well, the basics are just like a, a conforming property is you're looking for the closest you can find Um, And when you're looking in a conforming property, you're looking within a half a mile typically. In the luxury market, you're going out a mile or even two if you have to because the properties are so big. So that is okay as long as they're in the same type of area. Um, You want to take close attention to adjusting for square footage, adjusting for amenities, pools, guest houses, uh, lot sizes, um, horse facilities, um, any other amenities that they might have. Um, and then you would want to take into consideration one property might be on a, on a, on a main street or close to it, and because a lot of these big properties are, and some of them are way tucked up in the hills or something like that, so you make adjustments for that as well. And then finally, view. View is a huge factor in price. You can have a model match, and one house could be worth $300,000 more just because it has a view of the ocean or views of the mountains. Yeah. So you have to factor in all those things and make adjustments accordingly.
0: That's great. That was helpful. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, so what kind of upgrades are you doing on these properties? You know, what are you finding uh, are getting you the, the best bang for the buck on the higher end deals?
2: On the higher end stuff, I'm pretty much, pretty much gutting the inside and starting new and rebuilding the inside of the house and doing every new finish I, I possibly can. Um, the reason being is most of the stuff I'm buying, it's either an REO or a short sell, and it's already thrashed, it's already outdated. I love walking into the house, beautiful area, beautiful exterior, beautiful grounds and walking into a house with a tub um the pink tile tub. Oh yeah. You know, the the 1960s, the the wood paneling on the walls, the dark dingy old outdated crap that's that's just money, money, money. Yeah. I love it to see that stuff because I turn that into beauty, and when it's done, it sells. So yeah.
0: you're like an artist. You're not even a flipper. You're just an artist. <laughs>
2: yeah, almost. It is like that. And you know what? It's funny you <laughs> mentioned that. I almost considered like trying to take an interior design course because it's that complicated. And as I go from one property to another, one's a Spanish med, one's a, a English tutor. One's a traditional, one's a modern contemporary and to your finishes have to flow with that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And if you mess that up, you're going to mess up the, your buyer's pool. Yeah. So you really got to pay attention to what finishes you put in these luxury houses and what the people that are looking in that area, what the majority of them are going to like.
0: What, now, are you using an architect uh, to, to help you w- with, with uh, working the insides or, or are you uh, doing it on your own?
2: No, I don't. Architect would be as if I was changing floor plan dramatically. Yeah. I've moved walls here and there or taken out a wall or flipped one. I don't need an architect for that. I do that myself.
0: Interior uh, designers?
2: I've, I've hired interior designers, yes, to come in. Um, ultimately, I have realized that they're just people with opinions. And <laughs> I, I seem to work really well with my agent who also happens to have an interior uh, decorating background. And so between my choices and my what i think should go and then her opinion back we work were, we're a great team and everything seems to flow and work and it's it's worked for me so nice.
0: you're gonna get a lot of hate mail from interior designers by the way. <laughs> probably
2: that's
1: all right well now now we're talking about the the luxury flip here um you you have a post that's you know it, it's one of the longest posts on bigger pockets and about the seven figure spread flip can you tell us about that
2: Absolutely. That is uh, my baby right now. Um, That is my bread and butter. And I bought that property. I was in escrow at the end of 2010, I believe, or was it 11? Yeah, 2010 on that. And the bank who owned the property made misrepresentations. They represented that they owned the whole property, which consisted of slightly over seven acres, horse facilities, river stalls, et cetera, et cetera. And as it turns out, when they foreclosed, they made a huge mistake when they did the loan. They only encumbered the house portion of the property. So when they foreclosed, they were only able to foreclose on the house portion. Whoops. But when they, when they sold it marketed it, yeah, sweet to who? The guy that got foreclosed on. Talk about bank air in your favor, collect $200 and pass go. <laughs> the guy got free land and then encumbered it and sold it. So um, bottom line is we were in... I said, "Well, you can't sell me the whole property, so you got to reduce the price." And they wouldn't. They're like, "Buy it at this price or walk." I said, "BS." Uh so I filed a lawsuit for misrepresentation. So long story short, we finally settled out of court. I got the property for the reduced price that I wanted. And then including the land? No, they can't sell me the land. Right, right, right. okay. Okay, so then I I got in contact with the attorney of the owners of the land and offered um to purchase the property. We negotiated back and forth. I got the price that I felt I was comfortable paying, bought it as a separate transaction. And now I have since then pieced the entire property back to its original size. So now it's the entire property again. And then I've been rehabbing this thing for like a year. I've had a tremendous amount of problems with the city on this property. When I bought the house, it was down to the sticks, down to the studs. Uh, The only thing on there was the roof. There was like maybe two or three walls with drywall on it. I'm almost done. I'm about two, three weeks away from finishing this thing. So I'm really excited. It's really close. It's been a long process, but, um, it's, it's going to turn out to be really, really good. I'm really looking forward to having the final. I'm doing a whole video series on this as well. I had the before stuff done. I had some during stuff done. I just had some more during stuff done and I'm going to have the final once it's staged. That's awesome. And now I will be posting that on BP in, in that thread, of course. Okay. Well, so I, you know,
0: Brandon introduced this as the, quote, seven-figure deal. And, and I think you know, I think the loyal listeners would, would be mad at me for not pressing and pushing your buttons a little bit and, and asking you, you know, if this deal is going to turn out to be a true seven-figure deal. So, so in the end, you've got a couple weeks left. After all the nonsense with the, the buying the two lots and, and the time it's taken to put this together, are you going to end up over seven figures? Absolutely. That is fantastic. Well, I will expect a check donation to pockets <laughs> in the order of 5% when all is said and done.
2: I see. Okay, what, did, what did Josh and company do to earn that platform? Uh, you
0: know what? I, I don't know. I just thought it'd be a nice gift because you like me so much.
1: <laughs>
0: I Silence. Sit. <laughs> <Sip. laughs>
2: No, that's, that's
1: exciting. Uh, that's awesome. Actually,
2: I, I, actually um, as, as Josh knows, I've been a donor on, on BP and, uh, you know, a time member and moderator and um, definitely will be donating again because BP has been a huge part of uh, my education, my growth in my network. You know, the old saying, your network is uh, equal to your net worth. Yeah. And I was
0: was just busting your chops about that, man. Oh,
2: I know that. I know that.
0: (laughs) I I do know. But for for anyone listening, I'm, I'm, yeah, Will has been on the site for years and years and years and years, and we know each other and we've hung out. And so, yeah, it's not like I'm just busting the chops of somebody I I just met here.
2: (laughs) By the way, when's the next In and Out of? Hookup, yeah, uh, hook up, man. We got to get that going. We do. You have, and you're, the and ob-
0: obviously Will's buying. So. <laughs> so awesome. next time I'm in Southern California, probably somewhere around the holidays, Christmas time. Uh, we will, we'll do it. So uh, I'll make
2: the deal. You buy the airplane ticket. I'll buy the burger.
1: <laughs> nice. Yes. That's nice. a good trade. Nice. Well, I, 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 drove by the, uh, seven figure flip back when I was down in Southern California And uh, I didn't get to go inside that one, but I went inside one of your other properties, Will, and it was awesome. Uh, It was awesome. Did you sell that one yet? The other one that was down the street?
2: Well, it's actually in escrow. I'm still in the middle of the rehab. I've completed all the demo. We've got the floors installed. We're painting as we speak. Um, We're building the kitchen cabinets as we speak. I'm probably a good halfway done with that, but it's been sold since demo phase, which is really amazing to sell a multi million dollar home. Before they even see the finish work, but they saw some of my finish work down the street on the seven-figure spread deal. They know what I do and what I will be doing, and my taste. And so they locked it up, and we're in escrow. That's awesome.
0: Okay, well, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, so we're gonna, you know, we're starting to come to the close of the show. So we're gonna go to our fire, fire, fire Fire round.
1: round.
0: Yes. Oh, that was kind of that was that was awesome. Thank you. Yes. So the fire round is where we hit you really quickly with, with questions and you give us brief answers. Uh, most of these questions come from the bigger pockets forums. So these are all questions that people have asked on the site. So Brandon, why don't you kick it off?
1: All right. Brick house. Do you paint it? Is it possible or a bad idea?
2: Wow. Brick house. We don't have brick houses here in California cause they crumble. Um, that's <laughs> very popular in Texas. Um I never painted over the bricks. I have seen them paint them white and other colors. I prefer to leave the, the beauty of the brick, but if they're totally thrashed, if you're trying to go cheapo, then paint them. If you really want it nice, I would replace them.
0: I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, in, in Denver here, there's uh, blonde brick is really, really popular. Uh, it's been around. It's, I guess it's from the, the clays here or more of a blondish color. So they, they built with blonde bricks back in the 50s and 60s and so on. And a lot of out-of-towners hate it, hate it, hate it. So the flippers, at least where I am in, in, in the neighborhoods around me, are, are absolutely going and, and painting it, uh, painting the brick. So it really, I guess, does depend on, on where you're at. Yeah. Um, but, uh, all right. So what, 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 kind of appliances do you put in? Ob- obviously I'm guessing probably stainless on the high end. Uh, but are you going, you know, are, are on these million dollar houses, are you putting in like the $20,000 wolf refrigerators that are like super wide or, you know, what, 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 what are you doing there?
2: Yes. On the luxury stuff, like on the, on the regular stuff, the 300, 400, $500,000 houses here, everything was always still stainless steel appliances. But over here in California, you don't have to supply refrigerators. It's not typical. Um, so I never would. I would do everything but the refrigerator, washer, and dryer. It would be the range, stove, oven, dishwasher, and, and microwave. And on the luxury stuff, though, you have to. But they're not just a slide in refrigerator, they're the built ins. And yeah. they're the double wide, they're the 48 inch and, and larger. The ranges are larger. Um, you're doing vent hoods every time. So yeah, it's high end and we're talking 20 something thousand dollars for your appliances. Yes.
1: Wow. Wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. Uh, When buying, how much do you usually plan on for closing costs? Do you have a percentage or a a hard number you use?
2: Closing costs as far as the acquisition is concerned? Yep. Um, Acquisition costs are are so low because typically here um, locally, it's primarily customary for the seller to pay title for each party to pay half of escrow their their portion. And so you really you will have escrow, um, recording some recording fees, a couple of little small junk fees, and everything else is prorated stuff like your taxes and insurance. It's all prorated. Those I don't count as closing costs, I count them as holding costs because you're paying taxes in advance to hold it. Yep. So the closing costs are so minute even on a even on a multi-million dollar property. I I don't have I just I whatever the figure is, I plug it in.
0: Got it. Cool. So it. I don't I
2: don't like use percentages or anything like that. There's no rules of thumb. I just take the actual from the HUD. Here's my costs, and I plug it in. Got it. Cool. But the rules I use, like if I'm using the 65% rule or the 70% rule or the 75% rule, that already takes into account those minor cl- closing costs on acquisition and your closing costs on exit.
0: Okay. Perfect. Cool. All right. Cool. All right. So, have you? Uh, how how do you? I'm sorry. How do you find a great real estate agent? And do you have any tips on working with agents once you do find them?
2: Yes. Um, today, it's a little bit different than it was um, several years ago. So, I'll I'll kind of go with what I would do today because that's more relevant. Um, I I would suggest that you contact as many agents as you come in contact with. You should you should talk to them. Uh, you should probably work on agents who have a decent amount of experience, they're not rookies. And the, the best thing to do really is to form that immediate quick relationship, get them to like you. If they're not going to like you, why are they going to give you the deal other than anyone else they've worked with over the past X amount of years? So you really have to get in there by proving something and getting them to like you. And what I do is I prove them, hey, a conversational goal is something like, hi, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Agent. Uh, name's will I'm a real estate investor I'm a real one I'll, I'll throw a joke I'm saying I'm a real one I'm not one of those guys fresh out of a guru camp and I'll try and get them to laugh <laughs> and then I'll go in to say I can prove it you're welcome to look up my company you can see all my closed transactions and I kind of go there now if you don't have that background obviously you can't say that but yeah. you can figure out something else to say to joke with them make them like you and to get into the door and give them a reason why working with you is going to be beneficial to them well because best, what, yeah a lot of people take the line of, what can I get? What can I get? It's no, what can I give you, Mr. and Mrs. Agent?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I was going to make a joke there, but I didn't get the <laughs> opportunity. So You know, Will just kept going. Story
1: of your life,
2: kept
0: Josh. In. Yeah. <laughs> <man>. <laughs>
2: Josh. Sorry to give me... Oh,
0: nonsense.
1: man.
2: I, I feel can,
3: like
1: Eeyore. I can Ooh. tell you a joke. Knock, knock. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Will. Have you ever been robbed, specifically your property sites?
2: Yes. Um. One time, knock on wood... Um, for, for
0: extra effect, Will knocked on wood. <laughs> yeah, I actually
2: did because I don't like that to happen. Um, it was, I was lucky in a sense that they only took one item for whatever reason. They took my slide in range and stove, but the brand new dishwasher was there. Uh, the microwave was there. I don't know why they didn't take it all. Either they ran out of time, so they heard something, they came through the back door. I, I happen to have a personal belief that it was an inside job, it was one of the uh work as somebody who was there and knew the area and were just after that one specific item. Got it.
0: Got right. it. Got it. Got it. Um all right. So so what what about wholesalers? Do you buy from wholesalers and uh what would you want to say to potential wholesalers?
2: Um I can say that I'm still a virgin that and I've never bought a wholesale deal before. There you- come on, bring on the joke. I <laughs> I just you know <laughs> uh, okay. What, what advice would I give the wholesalers? Um, I would say add value, please. Stop looking on the MLS, locking up a deal at or just below ask price, and then sending it off to me at or above ask price. You've added no value whatsoever. Yep. You've done no due diligence, no research. Add value. And you add value by being a good negotiator, by finding that deal and a lot of people, there's some misconceptions. We were having this conversation on BP. Somebody was asking about how do you wholesale off the MLS? And I gave some, some intuition and whatnot. And then one of the responses was, so I guess it's like thought of as bad in the industry to buy off the MLS as a wholesaler. And they missed the point entirely. It's not bad to buy off the MLS. It's bad if you do it wrong. Yeah. It's perfectly fine to do a wholesale deal off the MLS, but add value. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So get a get a good deal.
2: <laughs> get a line. good deal. Bottom yes. Line. Know yeah. your numbers. Learn what the exit value is, the true exit value, not some inflated you wish you could get price. And learn how to do evaluate rehab costs. You don't have to be down to the nickel or the dime. You can be within several thousand dollars, but don't say twenty five thousand when it's fifty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah. And and that's hard for a lot of people, but but it's really not. If you put in a little bit of effort, it's really not.
1: No, that's that's really good advice. And one thing, if I could just jump in here and plug something real quick, uh, the BiggerPockets has a uh, calculator. It's the house flipping calculator. I think it's pretty awesome. It's uh, it helps wholesalers or flippers be able to look at all the numbers and figure out actually what a good deal is and what a good good deal isn't. So, anyway, if you are I uh, haven't tried that out yet, just go over to biggerpockets.com/slash kelk and you'll be able to play with that. So, um, next fire round question, equity partners, how should people structure them?
2: Oh, again, very carefully, um, involve, uh, somebody that you're familiar with. Don't take on equity partners that are strangers you've never worked with before. Or don't know. Um, that would be one, two, I would highly recommend you have everything drafted and drawn up by an attorney. Um, uh, don't try and, and legal zoom it okay there's there's a lot of intricacies there's a lot of things that can happen um, he can die you could die you could both die who dies first wow. what happens if one goes bankrupt who's responsible for <laughs> this This is more than does...
0: death bankruptcy what else whatever <laughs> but all you
2: have to cover your bases is my point and you're yeah. not going to be able to do that on your own without having legal knowledge and the background in such contracts yeah. so get an attorney it's part of doing it's the cost of doing business yep
0: Yep, and that's you know what, and that advice is is probably advice I would I'd pass on to any and all investors. You know, if, if you think you're going to get into real estate investing and can skip on uh, paying attorneys, you're 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 crazy. I, I, I really think that that uh, a prepared investor who takes their business seriously has has uh, legal counsel prepared from the very beginning.
2: Right. Yeah, you're you're just looking for trouble if you don't. It's like buying a house. Why why would you skip the home inspection? I know I mean I know inside and out a house, but I don't skip the inspection or the termite inspection. Why? Because it costs hardly nothing compared to the grand scheme of things. It's cost of doing business.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh final final fire round question, which wasn't really that fiery. Well it was fiery, but it wasn't that fast. Um, <laughs> any tips on using an iPad as a real estate investor?
2: Oh my goodness. I am in love with my iPad. I knew um, I knew that. That's why sec- I added this question. <laughs> that's that's like I don't know. That's the best thing since sex. Can I say that on the air? (laughs) Sure. I mean, the iPad literally took me and my office wherever I was going. My office is now wherever I am. Uh, Recently I was in Hawaii and I'm sitting off the deck overlooking the ocean on my iPad logging into bigger pockets. I can work from wherever I'm at. When I'm at the job site before years ago – I had my phone. It was a smartphone. I finally got the smartphone, and I could do little stuff there. But it was so small, and it's hard to do with the iPad. I get all of my emails easily, readable. I send in back and forth. I could sign real estate docs. If I get a contract coming in, I can sign them, and not just DocuSign, but it, there's better programs out there. There's like a, it's called actually it's DocuSign, it's DocuSign Inc. for the iPad. It is fantastic. I can sign all my docs and send them back. I don't have to use paper, pen. And I can do it in the field. That's yeah.
0: awesome. Well, y- your wife is going to be a little upset if she listens to the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so now we've pissed off interior designers and your wife. But, uh, but your listeners are going to be really happy about all the the great advice you've given.
2: <laughs> well, I hope so.
0: <laughs> um, and DocuSign is is great. There's others like EchoSign. There's other products out there. I use EchoSign for for all my signatures. Um, but uh, you know, I know a lot of real estate folks use use DocuSign and, and various others. So that's uh, yeah, great advice. Very very good advice. Well, uh, we got to get to the close of this thing. I know we we could keep talking and talking to you. But uh, instead, we're going to just get to the famous four. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to jump in on that, Will. Uh, I'll leave
2: that stuff to you guys.
0: Oh. <laughs> All right. So, Will, what is your – holy cow. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt this show with an important announcement. Dead seriously, this is live. I got a text from my wife telling me that Dunkin Donuts is opening up in Denver. I kid you not, it is important enough to interrupt the show to tell (laughs) you. I am such a huge Dunkin Donuts fan. There aren't any in this entire city, and the fact that there's one opening up, I'm ecstatic. So thank you, Dunkin Donuts, for listening to my chanting.
2: Um, Josh, how much did you get paid for that? A and <laughs> B. I can't believe that was the excitement. I thought you had like some great, fantastic, multi-million dollar real estate. No. and it was about donuts.
0: Dunkin' Donuts, and there there was no payment made whatsoever on that. <laughs> I will plug them till my death. I love that company. I love my love. Them. All right, famous four. Let's get back to it. What is your? <laughs> sorry, guys, put up with it. Uh, what is your favorite real estate
2: book? My favorite real estate book. Oh, I would say my favorite real estate book is probably um, Trump Style Negotiating uh, by Mr. Ross. George Ross is um, an an attorney for uh, the man, Mr. Trump. And he wrote a book on Trump Style Negotiating. That's probably one of my favorites because I believe Everything you do in real estate, it's all about the negotiation because that's where you, that's where you make your money. You negotiate a better price, you make better money. You negotiate better uh, product on your rehab materials, you make more money. Everything's a negotiation and that really and it's not just real estate that can relate to anything really.
0: Yeah, 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 and I, I tell you, Jay Scott's got an awesome, awesome, awesome article on negotiation, and we'll we'll point to that from the show notes at biggerpockets.com/slash/show thirty uh, two. We'll also point to the, this and the other books, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely one worth uh, worth checking out. And I do agree on negotiation. Uh, so great tip. Cool. Uh, favorite business book.
2: Favorite business book um, that actually is also a real estate book. And it's called um, Real Estate Finance and Investment Manual. It was uh, written by Jack Cummings. It is a monstor- monstrosity of a book, like 500 and something pages. I have the revised and an expanded version. It's it's everything from finance to how to analyze deals and investments. It is like the Bible for me, but it's, it's, it's really, um, how, how should I say, complicated. It's got all the complexities in it. So that's why I enjoy it.
0: Nice. Nice. Cool. And, and uh, what about hobbies? Uh, I know you've got kids. Uh, what do you do for fun?
2: Uh, fun. Yeah. The uh, fun thing for me is I still play ball. Um, I play softball a couple times a week. and I play tournaments on the weekends. In fact, I'll be up in Tahoe in a couple weeks playing a tournament in Tahoe. So that's that's my love since I was um, negative six months old. I think my <laughs> mom has a picture of me playing baseball in her tummy.
0: Nice.
2: <laughs> um, so that's that's my biggest love. And then you know, with the family, we go out on the boat in the summer. We go up to the cabin in Big Bear and go snowboarding in the winter. And um, spend a lot of time with the family, going out, nice, doing sweet. things. We'll come out to
0: Colorado and we'll we'll go skiing.
2: Absolutely, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I've never I've never boarded over there. Nice. You're, yeah. yeah,
1: it'll be fun. All right, last question. What do you think sets apart the investors who do really, really well and uh, succeed from those who don't, who just kind of disappear?
2: Oh, great question. I, I've always been of the uh, belief that those with the drive and the determination and the I'm not going to give up and quit, I'm going to go full bore no matter what, those are the ones that succeed. And the ones that... Um, Get up there, and because they think they're going to either make easy money, or maybe they don't think it's going to be so easy. But they give up because there's a lot of hurdles in real estate. Let's face it, it is a roller coaster ride, both physically and emotionally. And if you don't have the wherewithal within inside of you to get through that, those are the ones that don't make it all the way. Cool. Yeah, mm, that's that's good. That's, uh, that's definitely
0: definitely Very, good advice. I, I've got one last question for you. You've been around you're longer than most people we've interviewed so far. Uh, on on bigger pockets and uh, I, I think you are a, a pretty good test study of of how to use the site. So you know maybe really, really, really fast you can just tell people, you know, how they can jump on Bigger Pockets and use it to the to their benefit as as a real estate investor.
2: Absolutely. I'd be happy to, Josh. Um bigger pockets has been a huge part of my investing career. And when I started out, I didn't have bigger pockets. Had I have I might've been able to avoid quite a few investing mistakes, including some that I made acquisition side in Texas for buying holds. Um, I would say that some of the mistakes I see often are people that are coming in there and they're asking for things um, and they're looking for things. And one of the things that I noticed was by being part of the community, Asking questions and answering questions and getting to know people and and becoming colleagues with people gives you exposure. Then when you need something and you ask for it, you're more apt to get it because people already have that relationship with you and hopefully like you. Um, Use BP as an educational source as far as reading, but don't just leave it there. Get involved. Get involved in those forums. Get involved with colleagues. Talk to colleagues. I have a number of friends I consider very close friends that are BP members and quite a few of them I met on BP. A lot of them I've invited to local real estate clubs and now we're even closer friends because we hang out together in person as well. So use BP as your entire real estate source. It could be a resource for money, for funding, a resource for friends, a resource for deals, a resource to sell your deals, um, a resource to get an attorney a resource to get a better idea on how to do a certain rehab project, whatever. Um, even people with the grandest of experience in real estate can learn from other people on bigger pockets. So staying active and utilizing that site for all those things would be my advice. Awesome.
0: That's, that's great. That's, cool. that's great. Awesome. All right, man. Well, listen, well, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're going to have to do a, a follow up. I I know Brandon and I have, have actually talked about that. Thus far, we've done thirty two shows with thirty two individuals. So actually, some were just he and I, but uh, you know, there, there's a couple people we we, we want to bring back, and and uh, you're certainly on the list. So, uh, stay tuned for that down the line. And uh, that's it. Thanks, thanks for being a part of the community for for uh, for uh, sharing everything you've shared, and and obviously, we're looking forward to. Uh, to uh, hearing about the close of the million dollar house
2: (laughs) right well thank you josh thank you guys both for having me i had a great time and hopefully we'll do this again
0: awesome thanks will all right guys that was will bernard i thought that was uh it was really fantastic a lot a lot of cool stuff that we haven't really spoken about previously with with other flippers and wholesalers and I don't know. Will does pretty much everything as we said and as we talked about. So uh, hopefully we've exposed you to some some new ideas and things. Um, thank you very much for listening. As always, uh, if you are uh, if you are not already doing so, please make sure to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash biggerpockets on YouTube at youtube.com slash bigger pockets. If you want more YouTube videos, let us know, by the way. We uh we definitely want to be putting more out, but let us know what kind of videos you want us to do and we'll we'll uh we'll do our best to make those happen. Uh otherwise if you're not on bigger pockets, of course you want to join up today, get involved. Uh, being active on bigger pockets gives you exposure to guys like Will. I mean he's on Bigger Pockets every single day. He's got thousands of posts now I think. And uh you know he's there to help out, uh, as are the rest of us. so uh, definitely get involved and active and uh, that's that's really about it. If by you the have, way yes, will will
1: has ten thousand two hundred and four posts in bigger pockets. ten thousand two hundred four posts.
0: That is a lot of time spent helping other people.
1: Yeah, that's and, awesome.
0: and you know the the thing about that is not only is help is he helping other people, but he's helping himself. He's building credibility. And uh, that's awesome. Ten thousand two hundred and four. Holy smokes! Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's that's about it. If you haven't left us a rating, a review, or anything like that on iTunes, hopefully you'll uh, jump on iTunes and do that. We uh, we definitely appreciate all those ratings and reviews. Uh, if you love the show, jump on the show notes. Let us know that. Tell people. Yeah, you know, spread spread the word about the podcast on 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 Facebook, on Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere you can. You know, we're we're trying to build this build this show up, help more people out. So uh, hopefully, you guys can help us do that. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josh Dorkin. Signing off.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small.